0: This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com/be. That's IXL.com/be.
1: Hello and welcome to Transformative Principle episode 19. I am very excited to have you here today. There has been a lot of interest and growth from my interview with George Gross last week uh, after he gave the keynote speech at the USET conference here in Utah. That was an amazing experience and I was really excited to be able to chat with him and learn from him. I think I could listen to that one a couple more times and probably get something new out of it each time. And thank you so much for your support for this podcast. I am learning a ton, and I hope you are too. I hope if you haven't yet, you'll subscribe in Stitcher Radio or in iTunes, and then share this with all your friends as well. This week, I'm pleased to have Tony Sinanis, the principal of Cantiag Elementary on Long Island, New York uh on the inter- on the podcast this week he is an awesome principal who also hosts the Brand Ed podcast on the BAM Radio Network which is a great one that you should listen to he co-hosts that with Joe Sanfilippo and that is definitely one of my favorites also uh he's been on other podcasts before and he's kind of a big deal so I'm really grateful that he took the time to chat with me and to help me learn more about him so, I broke this interview up into two different episodes. The first episode is all about um, how he he's just such a humble guy. I mean, it's just amazing. He is so aware of himself and his environment. It's inspiring. Um, I just love listening to him. He talks about um, a very, I think, appropriate balance of recognizing the cultural um, differences in the people that he interacts with and how that can be used, um, as an advantage, but also how that had prevented him from being the best that he could be. I'll let him tell the rest about it, but I hope you enjoyed this interview with him. He's an awesome principal and I'm really excited that we got to talk to him. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this episode, uh, Box, which helps you bring sanity back to your inbox, click on the link in the show notes and give that program a whirl, which will help you not be interrupted by the annoying emails that you don't want to be. Time to chat with me. Um, I've heard you on a couple podcasts recently on the PT chat podcast yes, yes. and mm-hmm. on, um, the principal cast podcast. And, yes. uh, so I, I like the things that you're talking about. I'm glad we could finally connect. Um, sure. so, pleasure. uh, what I do is I just ask questions. Um, and okay. then you just talk about what you're comfortable with and, um, and we can go for, for as long as you want. Do you have a, a time limit that you need to stop at so I can plan for that?
2: Um, probably by 1230, I need to have, um, sort of be wrapped up because I have a one o'clock appointment, um, not in the building. So, okay, that's perfect. Um,
1: so, uh, let's start first. Um, tell me about, uh, who you are, where you came from
2: and what you're currently doing. Sure. So my name is Tony Sinanis. My, my, my real name is Anthony Sinanis. No H, not Anthony. Antony. Okay. Uh, but I go by Tony. And so I've kind of morphed that over the last um, couple of years where I, I thought I wanted to go back to Anthony, but the only person that calls me that is my mom. So we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, I am actually the uh, first Person in my family to graduate from college, Um, and in so much as my my both my parents immigrated here from Greece um, in the mid nineteen fifties, I do have an older brother and sister who are amazing uh, people and you know do great work. They just didn't happen to go the college route. You know they went alternative routes. Um, So I'm the first one who who went to college and I love it so much. So I just keep going back. I have two masters and now I'm in the middle of my doctoral studies. So, wow. so you're uh, crazy yeah. too. Good. Yes, I am definitely insane. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> I think if you, if you're an educator, you have to have some level of, you know, insanity yeah, absolutely. Um, in, a, in a good way. Um, so yeah, uh, my, my sort of journey in college started out as uh, pre-med and I was in a, um, seven year medical program at, um, in a, a local school here in New York. And, um, just wasn't what I was interested in uh, as a, as a, as the sort of studies unfolded. Um, so I tried about seven different majors. Uh, I did everything from theater to psychology to English literature to finally realizing that I wanted to be a teacher um, as a result of doing this uh, community service um, tutoring in a local uh, school by by my by my college. And so. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that so much. It became the highlight of my week. Uh, these kids were great. So I transferred though because they didn't have the uh, elementary education uh, degree, which is what I wanted. So I ended up going to NYU um, uh, about my junior year of college. So I had to do another year of college, which is fine because it mm-hmm. allowed me to pursue all the ed courses and stuff like that. So And you like college, so. <laughs> I love college in the end. I hated it then, but I love it now. No, uh, <laughs> no um, I, I ended up you know at NYU which had such a wonderful program and I had the opportunity to student teach in some really incredible spaces with some really progressive thinkers and and, and both the teachers and the staff uh, and and, and the kids sorry Um, so it was wonderful it was a really wonderful experience for me Um, and then in 97 yes 97 I graduated and I was very fortunate I got a job right out of college um, teaching fifth grade in um, an inner city school here in New York City, in the New York City public school system. I had 37 kids in my first class. Um, About half of them were developing their English skills, and the other half were, um, (laughs) it was just quite a crew. but I love them so much. They're such a great group, and I am still in touch with a lot of them. We actually get together often for like, you know, breakfast or lunch or whatever, just to kind of check in. Yeah, not as often as I'd like, but often enough that I know that they're okay, and and, I know that pursuing their dreams and passions and interests, so it's really wonderful to connect with them. Um, so I, I taught in New York City public schools for three years, um, where I primarily taught fourth and fifth grade. And uh, then I transitioned to Long Island, uh, which is a suburb of New York City. I was in Hewlett, uh, which is on the South Shore here. And uh, I taught fifth grade there for five years. Um, and in that time, I, I completed two master's degrees, one being in oh. educational. Yeah. Uh, my, my family was very supportive. Um okay. Which is great. Um, I did educational technology for one degree, and then I did um, I did my second one in educational leadership. Um, and after our son was born, I um, he had some medical issues. He has some medical issues. Um, you know, most amazing kid, and he's totally changed you know my life and our lives. Um, but I was concerned that maybe I wouldn't be able to be as good of a teacher as I was, because so much of what I did came from like my heart. I mean I love my kids and I mm-hmm. I you know went to their baseball games after school and I went to their homes when they were sick and I went to bar mitzvahs when they were you know older and um I was very much immersed in their lives beyond the classroom and that was really important to me to have a sense of who they were. Um but I I had this little boy who who needed me more than anyone else and yeah. I was you know I wasn't sure if I could manage it emotionally mm-hmm. um, cuz I'm a bit of a sap. Um <laughs> So I thought I should be an administrator because then I won't have a group of kids that I'm responsible for every day. But in fact, I went from having 20-something kids exactly. to having about 500. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you clearly immerse yourself in that as yeah. well. So, so in 2005, 2006, I think, yeah, 2006, I um, no, 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 2005, I transitioned into my first um, administrative position. I was an assistant principal at an elementary school in Valley Stream, uh, as a K six building, um, and it was it was great. It was so different than where I was, and the kids were wonderful, and the staff. You know, m- m- many. I was only thirty one at the time, I think, or thirty. Um, many of them were, were older than I was, so it was a bit of a transition for them as well. But they were really supportive and positive, and they taught me a lot. So it was great. Yeah. Um, I only did that for one year though, because my the principal who hired me, who I love, and is her name is Pat Burns and she's now an assistant superintendent in the local district she taught me so much um, she went on to become the assistant superintendent there so the principalship was available and you know everyone thought I was ready I kinda thought I was ready and so um, I went for it I was not ready uh, <laughs> I got the job I got the job but I was not ready um, I should have I should have enjoyed being a um, an assistant principal a little longer to learn and not be the place where the buck stops um, but I, I did make the leap, and I worked. I worked as hard as I could to make it positive and successful for everyone. Um, but about a year, and so or a year or so in, I realized it just wasn't the right fit. I wasn't the right fit for the community. I didn't have the the experience, the the skill set that they needed. It was a it was a really wonderful community, but they needed someone different than me. And I, as much as I felt like a failure on some levels, I also realized my shortcomings and 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 my inexperience and and how that would affect. organization not just me you know yeah can Um, i stop
1: you for just one second on that so that's a really fascinating thing and that's a hard thing for people to admit i'm i'm not the right fit or i'm not good enough for this position do you mind expounding on that a little bit more how you came to that realization and what what particularly you felt you didn't have the skill set for and why you have a skill set to be where you're at now for example you may have been going that direction but I want to emphasize that because it's hard for
2: us to admit when we're, when we're struggling. So please. Sure. No. Well, one of the things I lacked was intestinal fortitude and um, I, <laughs> and that's a big deal. You know, you, um, when you're an educator and especially I feel like in a leadership position, you can't take things personally. Um, even though people may come at you from a personal place, they're not. It's not about you and it's not about them, it's about an issue that they feel really strongly about or that you feel really strongly about. I wasn't able to to get that. And I really poured my heart and soul into that job, which I still do, but I wasn't able to separate Tony, the person, from Tony, the principal, and the school as a whole and what that meant. So, uh, to be quite honest, I probably went home crying like three or four times a week um, because I felt like a failure. Like, I felt like, just when I felt like I was making progress with the kids, let's say, I felt like I was losing ground with our staff you know that I that I was you know not attending to their needs enough um and just when I turned my focus to them and I felt like I was disconnecting from the community the parents and the families and um it was it was a very diverse community um predominantly african american and latino um which was wonderful and enriching for me but as a young white man who was not really associating like I don't I never grew up associating myself with whiteness um uh-huh. because my family is Greek, you know, we're Greek, and um, so the idea of like, I don't know, I, I just, I never identify myself as white, I clearly, I am white, um, I am Caucasian, but um, my culture and, and our religion is different, it, you know, is different than your, you know, sort of, I don't know, right. whatever. So, in that job, though, I started to realize that, in fact, yes, I am, I am white, and um and that affords me certain privileges, and that affords me certain perceptions, uh, often positive ones, just because I'm this tall white guy. Um, even height, height's an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I started to realize that I didn't have the experiences that my my kids needed me to have. Like I I didn't grow up with the experiences that they had, and they had really rich, socio-cultural experiences that they brought to school, right? But right. those are not the things that we tap into in a school in a school we tap into standards and test scores and so on and so forth, where our kids you know I had kids who were from the Caribbean, their life was so different than mine growing up, and yet it was hard to find a space in school to tap into that and to right. to maximize that skill set and so so there was a bit of a disconnect, and um I didn't have a lot of experience so the, so aside from the intestinal fortitude that I lacked, I was also. I was more reactive than I was proactive, and that's not good. You can't react to people because they know they can get a reaction out of you, and so yeah. they'll come to you, you know, for that. Um, and, and even though my reactions I thought were always, like, in the best interest of everyone else, they didn't give me an opportunity to reflect and to be thoughtful, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so those are probably the two biggest issues. In addition to the sort of, um, I'll say cultural disconnect, but... Um, I was coming from a different space, you know, and, and, and my experiences as an educator and as an individual didn't really necessarily prepare me for what this community needed at that time, and they needed someone strong, and they needed someone experienced, and they needed someone who was not going to take things personally, um, and they needed someone who, and it wasn't about skin color at all, but a little bit it was in so much as I couldn't necessarily always relate, and and, and, and people thought that I was even more disconnected because I happened to be very pale in my literal skin color. Uh-huh. Um, yet I, I grew up in this immigrant household, which was very much like the households that my kids grew up with in, in, in that area, but it was different. It was, it was still very different. And perception oftentimes is harder to overcome than the reality, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the perception of me as this young, inexperienced white guy. At the time, was was hard for some people to overcome. I think, and for some people to see past, and rightfully so, because I I was young, I was inexperienced, I am white, you know, so yeah. all those things were they were not they were not lies, they were facts. But um, it definitely was, it made the the experience challenging. And you know what, my kids deserve better. My staff deserved someone who was was coming from a different perspective. Also, philosophically, there were some differences for me. Mm-hmm. So 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 all those things I just brought up, those are like personal things that I know I could have worked through and experience would have bridged the gap and so on and so forth. But the, the last piece of it was there was a major philosophical chasm between where I was and where the district was because um, I was on like my third superintendent in like two years because people retired, interim acting, and um, it was very hard for me to grow. So my inexperience kind of fell on myself because there was no one there to lead me and to guide me and to – and 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 the vision kept changing there was no vision you know so um yeah. it was a challenge so and you said that's, some. that's what happened you said some really amazing things in there that
1: we sometimes think well i i care about my my students who are minorities and i i empathize with them and the fact of the matter is is that um we are our own people for better or for worse and I think that takes a very mature professional person to recognize that and say what I'm doing is not being as beneficial as as I know it should be, and mm-hmm. I really respect you for for having that perspective and being able to own that and and not feel like that's a a detriment per se, but that it's just mm-hmm. different and that's that's the impression yeah. that I got from what you were saying, yeah, not that yeah not this yeah, feeling of was, white guilt or anything, but this feeling of right. my my patrons, my students, my teachers—they yeah. need somebody better than me, and that's yeah, that's an yeah. admirable thing for you
2: to have. I, it, it was it was a really hard thing to 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 put out there, to admit, and mm-hmm. to accept because because i lived for what i do i mean i lived for those kids you know they were like right. my, they were my life and, and and our staff as well and i never wanted to do wrong by them but what i realized was in all my efforts to do right by them i wasn't exactly meeting their needs you know and and um and I'll, although i was learning a lot i learned a heck of a lot um and i grew a whole lot um the reality was that i wasn't able to to support their growth and and, and in the way that it should have been you know and yeah. um and i did i learned a lot about myself um and 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 I did learn a lot about about race and class and how that affects public education or education in general. Um, and and for us to to stick our head in the sand and think that it's just about common core or it's just about high stakes testing, when in yeah. fact we're talking about communities that are stricken by poverty. Um, we're talking about systems that don't place value on the socio cultural experiences that our kids have and bring to school with them. We don't tap into those things. That's that's where we need to be focusing our our time and our energy don't i mean don't get me wrong i'm not bashing you know standards or whatever but that's not going to fix it that's not going to bridge yeah. the gap until we realize that we as, as as a system are are antiquated and are disconnected from like what the real world is you know when you get a job people tap into your personal strengths and experiences yet when we bring kids to school we try to make them fit in this little box like they all need to be able to read this way and write that way and test this way mm-hmm. and it's almost like discongruent to, to what the world expects of them, and so that that's a challenge. You know that that definitely at that time I didn't realize that, but that was a part of my internal sort of dilemma: was what what what's going on? Like, what are we doing? You know, and so yeah. um, I'm very I'm very fortunate in in my studies at Penn right now, my doctoral studies. We we talked a lot about about student voice and about. Um, tapping into student experience and not just looking at the traditional academic skill set that we think is what we should be focusing on in school because we do have kids who they could tell you about how to create a recipe from scratch because they grew up with their grandma who taught them how to cook and that's important or they could tell you about the fact that they immigrated to this country uh, you know and gave up everything in in their country to be here and that's important that shapes who they are so they may not be able to uh, infer something mm-hmm. from a passage right away, but they could tell you a whole lot that you should be inferring about. You know, so so those Brian. are things that have really you know shaped the way that I that I think and that I lead. And uh, so yeah.
1: So so how are you doing? Uh, so yeah, some yeah. of those things right now at your current school. How are you implementing those things you're currently learning? Yeah. Give me an example of
2: that. So, so I will I will tell you just to, to just to bridge the little gap. I went from okay. Valley Stream to where I am now in Jericho. Uh, at Kenney Elementary School and this is my sixth year here as the lead learner. I don't call myself the principal because I feel like there's a demonstrative difference between the two and I thank people like Joe Mazza and Jessica Johnson and Melinda Miller and Amber Tiemann and Kurt Reese. The list can go on and on who have inspired me to see that um, there's a difference between someone who's a lead learner. uh, You know Tom Whitford and and Todd Whitaker and anyway I can go on and on but um, I've been here for for six years Um, It has been amazing, and I think the one thing everyone will tell you from our staff to our community to our kids is that the thing that's at the center for me are our kids Mm -hmm. and what their experiences are and what their needs are and what their strengths are. Every kid has a different readiness level, and we just have to give them an entry point for wherever that is, and it may look different in math than it looks in reading, and it may look different in um, science than it does in social studies, Um, but we try very hard to personalize and individualize uh, learning for our kids, and it's hard. It's a lot of work, um, and we do a lot to give voice to them. So we we shifted in my time here from a very sort of traditional writing approach to a more writers' workshop where we give kids voice, and they have writers' notebooks so they can write about their experiences and their feelings and their their take on life, you know. And 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 that's that's rich, um, and that's important. So that's one example of something I feel like we've done differently here. Um, that taps into to our kids. And our kids, I think, if you came here and talked to them, I think they would tell you they know that like I, I love them and, and everyone loves them. Like they are it's a student centered building. We are a student centered community, um, kid centered, not just student. We don't, I don't just see them as these learners, although they are learners. They are these incredible human beings who who just, you know, they just fill the building with, like, greatness. They're awesome. So, yeah, that's so yeah, awesome. That's, that's I guess, one example. Um, so
1: you choose to call yourself a lead learner. That's not a district-imposed. The yeah. district calls you a principal, and you call yourself a lead learner. That's,
2: that's yeah, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, Tell me a think little about, more about think that. Of, think about what you think. Of. For a moment, like, and I, I talk when I do, like, presentations or workshops or whatever, I tell people, think about the word principal. What do you envision, right? With principal, you envision that person who is dealing with discipline problems, you envision that person who is in their office, you envision some old person that's disconnected from from learning, that's a manager, that's an administrator, that's a a paper pusher, you know, and I can show you my desk but I won't because it's a mess because I don't spend time doing that kind of stuff. I feel like if we're going to grow as an organization, as a learning community, then I have to model that. I have to be the lead learner, right? Like we're all learners here, and so I have to sort of try to lead, and it's not just me leading because I'm not the leader all the time of the learning. Very much our staff leads and our kids lead it, Um, but I'm constantly learning, and I'm constantly pushing myself out of my comfort zone, whether through Twitter, whether through the connections I've established on Twitter, whether through my doctoral studies, whether through my dissertation, whatever the case may be. Every day, I, I can I can genuinely say I go home and I've learned something new um, from my kids, from our staff, um, and you know sometimes that's a little stressful for people around me because they're like, dude, do you ever turn off? Like, is it ever? Where's the off switch? Um, but that's just the way that I'm wired, um, and and I love it. I love being pushed out of my comfort zone. I love stretching my thinking. Uh, I don't know if you follow Peter Dewitt on um, on Twitter, but Peter is a, a principal here in New York State. He's on a leave right now. He talks a lot about. Uh, stretching your thinking and and being pushed out of your comfort zone, I read his blog regularly because it does that for me um so that's another like place for me where i I feel like I'm a lead learner i read i mean granted I don't read as many books for pleasure as I should because of the doctoral studies, but I read blogs for pleasure and I forward them and I share them and i you know link them to emails and whatever so um, I'm writing. I I blog, right? So I reflect on, on my experiences because we want kids to be readers and writers, right? We want our staff to be readers and writers and to embody those things. So I try to model those things. So I try to lead in those areas, but to just be a learner. Um, so that's 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 why I call myself that. And actually, Pernille um, Rip uh, wrote a post recently, and she was like, <laughs> she 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 criticized the the title of of lead learner a little bit. Not so much criticized, but you know. Forced me to look at it in a different way. Um, I don't necessarily see myself. For me, lead learner is not so much about the word "lead" as it is about learner, you know. And so, and again, I'm not the one who's always leading the learning because our staff might lead a faculty gathering, they might share something via email, they might walk next door and share something. Our kids might be spotlighted, so it's not it's not just me. But because I'm the principal and because I'm the lead learner, I may have to organize some stuff, and you know bring it together. So maybe that is the leadership part of it. But yeah.
1: Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. And please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones.
0: Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.